My favorite part of, of my job is the challenges that every different operation brings when, when you look at the agricultural community. The most important thing is, is forming relationships, trusting relationships with farmers, with producers, with growers. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Welcome back to the Small Minded Podcast, everyone. My name is Molly Knuth, and I am your host as we share stories, strategies, and just examples of life in small towns and what is important to the people there. Today, we sit down, and I guess I should have a disclaimer here. I don't pretend to be farmy or outdoorsy or anything like that, but I am intrigued by all of it. I married a farmer. 11 years ago, and I swear he comes up with things that I didn't know every single day. But I'm always curious about how they conserve the land, how they analyze the health of the soil, how they get the yields, and how they increase production while keeping costs down, and how all of this impacts the people who live in small towns, in larger communities, and the world surrounding, right? So today, I have an opportunity to sit down with my friend Eric Schmeckel from Dubuque County Soil and Water Conservation District. So Eric and I had a conversation a few weeks back, and he was looking for help with social media in order to spread the word about this awesome new programming they have at the county level to help urban areas of Dubuque County, Iowa, as well as farmers in that watershed in order to protect and conserve the water and the soil in these areas. And Eric had so much passion around this topic And he understood how much personal investment goes into this process and how it is a matter of talking to farmers, talking to government leaders, talking to builders and contractors in these urban areas, and then talking to citizens and getting them to understand what each of these different livelihoods are doing to contribute to soil and water conservation. And I knew that we had to have him on the podcast. And while this may be a departure from the business strategy, the social media topics that we usually speak to, I think you'll find this to be a fascinating topic that impacts all of us in small towns, rural areas, and especially how we protect these areas going forward. So without further ado, here's my friend Eric from Dubuque Soil and Water Conservation District. All right. Well, welcome to the Small Minded Podcast, Eric. I am so excited to bring your knowledge and your expertise to our listeners today. Thanks for having me, Molly. Uh, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with Eric a few weeks ago, and we were sitting down just talking about social media and how we could use social media to help educate the populace about soil and water conservation because Eric is from the Dubuque County Soil and Water Conservation Program in Dubuque County, Iowa. And we were talking about how to bring the public awareness of what people, farmers, and municipalities do to preserve soil and water. And I knew from that conversation that we had to have him on the podcast because he was so knowledgeable and so excited about this topic. 
And it's so timely for our small towns. That's it's, a really long-winded way for me to introduce you. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. It's um, yeah, it's been a journey. I I moved to Dubuque in in 2007 from um, northern Wisconsin, doing uh, just a lot of different ecology work. I was actually doing uh, fishery scuba diving work on some lakes up there, and um, and then I was like, you know. I didn't know a lot about Iowa or Dubuque, and this is 2005, 2006 timeframe. But I love the idea of trying to work on uh, on flood reduction and water quality. And it, and it started off as a, a small little trout stream, the headwaters of Catfish Creek, and started to work with farmers and producers on ways, the uh, conservation practices that they could put in in just this, you know, nine nine thousand acre watershed, and. Um, you know, it, it's really evolved so much from 2006, 2007 to where we are now. The Soil and Water Commissioners have been have been great to work with, um, very supportive, and have have really branched out. You know, into this this kind of multifaceted collaboration between Dubuque County and the City of Dubuque and the City of Asbury. So we've got this urban rural you know collaboration that's been happening now for the last ten years. And it's been it's been great. And, you know, just just recently here, we've really kind of restructured the the agreement and the program to really focus more on building more relationships with farmers and to start to look at not so much as, oh, we're here to we're here from the government here to help um, kind of concept, but really focus on profitability, return on investment you know, soil health and conservation and, and now carbon and climate change and like where does this all fit in the picture? So it's a robust program. Like I said, it's been going on for a little while, but I feel like we're we're kind of at a brand new stage right now as we're kind of restructuring. We've got a couple more employees we hired. So yeah, it's I'm I'm excited to keep moving forward with things. Oh yeah. And I think that all of the things that you just mentioned, we're gonna talk today in our conversation about like urban and rural and how you're bringing those needs together for this programming like how farmers fit into that, talking about how there's been an evolution and a restructuring, and especially now with the timely discussion about some of these more green, if you will, initiatives that we hear about in the news, we can talk about some of that too. So today's conversation is going to be a very fun one. And for me, I have some farming background through my husband, but like, I don't pretend to be super like knowledgeable about this stuff. So I'm going to learn so much from you and I'm super excited. <laughs> Um, so do you want to tell us, you initially told us a little bit about your background being from Wisconsin. Is there anything else we should know about you, Eric, as we dive into today's conversation? Um, I, I love working with people. I mean, it's probably the, my favorite part of, of my job is the challenges that every different operation brings when, when you look at the agricultural community. The most important thing is, is forming relationships, trusting relationships with farmers, with producers, with growers. And then, you know, on the flip side, I get to work with elected officials. I get to work with, you know, city citizens, a city of Dubuque. And, and just um, there's a lot of interest at, at a lot of different levels, you know, in conservation and watersheds and water quality and flooding and climate change and all these things. I think the pandemic has even heightened, heightened this even more, um, you know, with 
you've seen, we all have seen just like the outside recreational opportunities, like exploding the last year, like everyone's been yeah. outside and exploring more. And then it brings you back to how are we preserving this? How are we making things better and thinking about, you know, kids and grandkids and so forth. So that's, you know, one of my favorite parts of, of getting to do what we get to do is every day is a little different. We have a lot of different challenges. And, and really, I think it, like I said, it, it starts by relationship building with whomever you're, you're trying to work with, whether it's urban or rural, and really seeing there's always going to be a balancing act that has to take place and seeing, you know, their perspective on where they're at and what their end goals are and so forth. And then, you know, ultimately where we can fit in. I mean, what, what's our role in this program? How do we, how do we fit in to try and and improve and increase that, you know? Oh, I think that's awesome. Maybe let's back up a little bit. You said one of the bigger projects that you've worked on in your time in Dubuque was Catfish Creek. And for people who are outside of Eastern Iowa, Midwest, Creek means Creek. We just tend to say that with our Midwestern accent. But do you want to talk a little bit? I know that there's a lot that went into that project, but can you give maybe a high level overview of what the Catfish Creek restructuring looked like, how that ultimately impacted like the Mississippi River from the Dubuque watershed, and maybe just give an overview of that project, if you will. Yeah. So Catfish, like I said, Catfish started back in 2007. And it started, you know, it's a the headwaters of Catfish Creek is a is a Colar trout stream, which means uh, DNR was stocking, I think it's like 20,000 trout annually in that stream. Um, it also is one of the naturally reproducing streams in Northeast Iowa. So it, it gets a lot of use. It's Swiss Valley Park, Swiss Valley Nature Center. It's a beautiful, beautiful stream. And the commissioners were really looking at, you know, when you hear about water quality in Iowa, you hear about all these 303D impairments, and we have such a water quality problem in so many of our streams. And they thought, hey, Catfish Creek is a stream that's working. You know, we have trout reproducing in here. We need to do something to protect it. We need to make sure it stays protected and stays healthy. And that's that's where catfish really started from. And, you know, City of Dubuque was a partner and the county was a partner. The County Conservation Board were partners. And we said, we feel like we have some willing landowners that we can engage with and that would be interested in helping protect it with buffers, with sediment basins, maybe some structural components of ponds. And that's where it started. You know, it was starting to to knock on doors and, and form relationships with those uh, with those landowners in that area. And we had a lot of a lot of success. And it started off as a three year project. And at the end of that, our commissioners and and supervisors at that time, 2010 frame, were like, you know, we don't want this to end. We want mm-hmm. we want to continue this this journey and this process. And that's when our Catfish Creek Watershed Authority Board was formed and we kind of made a bigger board. And then we started to get more, you know, more urban components involved as mm-hmm. we, as you were seeing sprawl and, and cities like Yasta and Appworth and Farley, like everyone was kind of start growing. You're seeing more subdivisions go in, you're seeing more blacktop, more asphalt being, you know, being produced and laid mm-hmm. in, in our watersheds. Where's all that extra runoff going? you know, and, and what are the impacts to our stream? And that's where this, this whole, you know, a lot of this kind of kicked off into urban components of we need to start to develop ways and mechanisms to work with builders and contractors as well. It's not just, oh, the farmers are causing all the water quality problems and flooding problems. You know, what about 
urban sprawl and what about the other impacts out there? And that's where, you know, we live in an urban rural county and community. We have these smaller towns um, that continue to kind of grow and expand. Dubuque is Dubuque. It is what it is, right? Like it's not going to just continue. It, it continues to slowly expand, but not at the rate as of some of our smaller towns, I think, in the county that have expanded faster. And then what those impacts are. So that's kind of where, you know, the last seven or eight years, a lot of the focus was on urban stormwater impacts and so forth. In the last two or three, I've been able to kind of go back and say, we need an urban rural collaboration. We need much more attention in, in both of our both of these areas. And that's where we, you know, this past September created a brand new 28E agreement, which is an intergovernmental agreement between the city of Dubuque, Dubuque County, and the Soil Water Conservation District to kind of tackle, you know, hey, part of this is urban, part of this is rural. Let's try and coordinate and, and kind of develop. I don't know if I want to say department, but let's try and get a new program moving that enables us to hire some staff, enables us to have better communication. One of the things that I've, you know, learned in the last 14 years has been, you know, it it we we kind of have this these tendencies to work in like these like solos of isolation, right? Yeah. Like oh, yep, city, that's exactly what I was thinking too. Like City of Dubuque's doing their thing and they've got their engineering department and Asbury's doing their thing and you know Piazza's doing their thing or Cascade or like, you know, so like how can we better coordinate and collaborate? How can we share what's happening outside of in Dubuque County with City of Dubuque elected officials? with city managers, you know, how do we share that information? And then how do we share it with citizens? So I think that's the idea behind this kind of restructuring is to get us away from those isolation silos and to get us closer working collectively together to try and, you know, solve some of our challenges as it relates to flooding and water quality and, and recreation and habitat and, and ecosystem improvement and all those things. Oh, I love everything that you touched on there. And I think it all ties back into your initial comment when we started this podcast with how you find so much joy and so much of your work is in the relationships that you're building and cultivating. And by taking these silos, like you said, things don't happen individually when we're talking watersheds. It's involving the people at the top where the water's like the watershed is starting. And it's involving the people downstream and getting everybody together to talk about the efforts they're making to work collectively for the betterment of it is so crucial. But a lot of times it's something that is overlooked. So I think this is such a great example of the work, not only that you're doing with soil and water, but also in how you're bringing together urban and rural and getting people to talk about how we are working together for everyone's betterment. And yeah. I think... So, yeah, this is just me going on a tangent now, but I see a lot of this too when I'm talking with small towns and I know in ours too, just working in anything that's for the betterment of the community, it can sometimes feel like departments or organizations are working in these silos. So I know, for example, like a few years ago when I just started working with our town, it seemed like the city was doing their thing. Economic development was doing their thing. Chamber of Commerce was doing their thing. And then there was all these offshoot committees. And everybody was doing stuff, but we didn't communicate about who was doing what. So there was overlap and then there was gaps. And it was like, this would be so much better, you guys, if we could just talk 
if we just talked about who's doing what and then maybe streamlining what we're doing so that we're reaching everyone that needs it, but we're not overlapping. And I think I see that in what you're talking about in this effort at Catfish. Yeah. And so, I mean, just that's, you know, Catfish is where it started, which has been a super great example of like taking a small area of ground or taking like, so in, in the watershed world, we have what's called hawks or hydraulic unit codes. And we have, um, we have 30 Hawk 12s in Dubuque County. And the, so you've got like a Hawk 8, a Hawk 10, a Hawk 12, a Hawk 14. And like the larger, when you go up, your watershed gets smaller in scale. So mm-hmm. like a Hawk 8 is going to be like a large area of, of land, like a million acres. And a Hawk 12 would be like, you know, 10,000 acres, 12,000 acres, somewhere, somewhere in the ballpark. So what, when we started like Hawk 12, Catfish Creek, small area, and we went to the Hawk 10 range of, you know, growing the size of catfish to 46,000 acres. And now we're in this like countywide, like, what about, what about me? Kind of like what, you know, kind of this countywide effort. We have prioritized our watersheds in the Buke. We have been doing tons of research and a lot of really cool modeling work you know, that technology has advanced in so many different ways in this world. And we're able to, to use that now as well, too. And like in the watershed field, like using LIDAR technology and aerial photography, contour maps, we can do so much now by viewing aerial photography and looking at soil types and slopes and cropping history and all that stuff to sit back and, and kind of navigate and make recommendations and look at where potential projects could be located and so forth. So that's been, that's been really cool. Like the way that this has just grown into a much more complex, a much more complex effort. And as you know, like the flooding challenges and water quality challenges and habitat, like it's a complex issue. Like it's Mm -hmm. not, not easy. Everyone has a different means of their livelihood and has a different maybe have different goals of what things should or shouldn't be. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's, it's about, you know, my goal is to formulationships to help everyone like to sit back and we know like, we're not going to connect with every single grower in Dubuque County. Like some are going to not want to have anything to do with a program that we might be assisting with and want to do their own thing. And that's okay. But I feel like there's more and more out there that are looking at things a little bit differently. And if we can help them be more profitable and really focus on that return on investment. And there's, there's so many new things like now the big push is soil health and, you know, how are we dealing with soil health and can we look at tillage practices and can we look at cover crops? And then you throw the carbon market, which is like exploding right now. Like there's all these new companies that are saying, we need to turn to farmers, um, you know, to, to see if they could help with our carbon efforts. And climate change is is here, and it keeps getting. I would say there's more and more attention to mm-hmm. climate impacts and so forth. And you know, just from institutions, from organizations and companies looking at, can we do things? There's been some great documentaries, you know, produced this past year that that are covering this and talking about soil health and and having more perennial landscape. I mean, kind of our our new slogan that we're trying to kick off is roots in the ground year round. And what does that mean? It means that we're trying to have, you know, an active living organism in our soils all the time, helping with carbon, with 
organic matter increases with, you know, infiltration, reduced flooding, improved water quality. But what does it mean to the farmer too? Like, what does that mean for yields? What does that mean for my profitability and so forth? And that's, that's a fun exercise that we get to continue to kind of explore and work on. And that's from our conversation that we had a few weeks ago. That's what I, this is so cool that I have you here to talk to you because I know like as somebody who grew up in town, like I'm a town girl and I, like you said, everybody uses water a little bit differently. Everybody has used land a little bit differently and definitely growing up, like, you know, I went to the tap and filled my water bottle or I like cut the grass and like our little like half acre around our house in town and we fertilized it, you know, and then now I see it differently because I have a husband who is actively involved in crop farming. And so seeing this side of it, he considers all these things that I just honestly never even thought about when I was growing up, but he's talking just like you are about like, what is the makeup of the soil? Like how much potassium do we have? He talks about like, I swear every year he brings up something. I'm like, you never told me about potash before. And he's like, oh my gosh, I talk about it every year. And like doing soil sampling. And then, like you said, talking about different erosion control methods. And they just recently switched over to strip tilling and cover crops and making that part of their operation. But like you said, there are ways to approach this that like sometimes from the farmer's perspective, they feel like it's put upon, right? They're like, oh, there's these regulations that we now have to reach. And I feel like as somebody from city or town background, like, yeah, that made sense. Like some of these things, I'm like, I would totally have you do that because you're a farmer and obviously you're using more of this additive or whatever. But then I hear from his perspective and he's like, yeah, we might be doing that, but we're offsetting it with this. And so I do feel like what you're doing and going in and having these conversations from a way that's like, we want to get farmers to buy in and we want to make them maximize their profitability and do it in a way that helps their operation. We don't want them to feel forced upon or like they need to try all these new things. We want to have them as active participants in the conversation. And I think that is huge. And then your second thing, like you said, is going to be to educate those of us who are city and town people and like say, here's what we can all do to help improve right. this. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Those, those are the two things that we're, that we're really focused on. You know, like I said, there's not a one size fits all. Every operation is so different. Mm -hmm. You have, I mean, you have a different, you know, from livestock to grains to small grains to corn and beans to, you know, like there's all different goals. But I, I really feel like we've got a full time conservation agronomist now that grew up on a cattle farm his whole life. So like he's been, you know, he's been doing a great job, and I think I think we'll continue to get better and develop relationships. And then we've got an urban watershed coordinator like him just working with contractors and builders and, you know, both of us reviewing final plants that are coming in and, and like, what are the impacts to land use? Like, what are those impacts to our streams and so forth? So, you know, it is, it's, it's a diverse set that we're trying to get across and then ultimately connect with like citizens, whether you're living in a small town or you live in Dubuque or live in the county, like it doesn't matter. We want you know, how many people know what a cover crop is or why it's important or what it does? What does soil health mean? Like, what is soil? Everyone just knows soil is dirt and that's where things grow. Like, there's so much more to it when you actually kind of dive into the details and get to explore it. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun. But again, you like, 
going back to our conversation a few weeks ago, like it's challenging, like coming up with, with ways to try and keep people engaged, keep this fun and, and exciting and not like, oh, are you talking about farming? That doesn't have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's trying to come up with different ways that no, this is, this is really important stuff. Like this, it, it really is. It's really important for everything that you're doing and that we're working on, um, whether you think it is or not, it impacts you in one way or another. So I think with, you know, that's what we need to continue trying to figure out, like how we can make those connections and then how we share success, like how we're sharing our success across the Butte County, like how are we measuring outcomes? Like there's taxpayer dollars is the board of supervisors approved $390,000 this year for different uh, incentive related programs that can assist farmers on making improvements, you know? So I think we want to make sure that citizens, that farmers know, like taxpayers are, are being used for this. And I think it's good local dollars, local taxpayers is going back to farmers that want to engage in this and that want to want to be a part of it. But how do we share the success, you know, all the different things that's, that's happening. And, mm-hmm. and then how do we create kind of this environment where farmers feel safe, that they can talk to other farmers and that they can, you know, get solid information from agronomist or, you know, from, you know, whomever is kind of in that network. You know, farmers trust each other typically. They trust, you know, family and and they trust each other and they trust their, you know, seed dealer or their egg retailer or whomever it is. And we want to establish and build that trust as well. We're definitely not coming from a threatening standpoint at all. We want to sit back and see, hey, maybe there's something here that we can help with. Maybe there isn't, but let's let's just have the conversation. Mm, I love that. Let's back this up a little bit because you brought up a couple of questions that I'm like, maybe this is where we should, we should probably like clarify this. So you said a little bit ago, you're like, maybe we need to define what is soil? What is a cover crop? So first up, let's talk about what is soil? How do we know if soil is healthy? We all hear a lot, I think about, you know, I was losing so much topsoil mm-hmm. down, down the Mississippi. And we talk about the hypoxia zone and the Gulf. And like, that's where it's all ending up. And you hear about that's where, that's where soil's going. Um, you know, how are, why are we losing? What's erosion? You know, like what's, what's sediment loss and so forth off of our fields. And, you know, a healthy soil, like is a soil that, and this is, this goes back. I won't get into a lot of details on it, but <laughs> it's like, you know, when soil is, is a living organism, it really is like, we've got things living in our soils. And every time that we disturb those soils through tillage or through a plow or through whatever, we're breaking up those organisms. We're breaking things down. We're not letting things kind of naturally do things that they do, like with earthworms and different things that are living there. So you talk black dirt, you've got different layers of soil. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you start to, you know, impact and till and, you know, disturb those soils, there's a chance now when it rains, when the snow melts and so forth, those soils leave fields and where do they go, right? They go into our streams another stream feeds into a larger stream and then into the Mississippi river. So, you know, that's, that's what I mean by, by soil health is trying to look at how are we preserving our really, really good black dirt soil that, that we have in Iowa that we've had through the use of, you know, hundreds of years of native prairie. And then we came in with agriculture and we looked at what can we grow and what do we grow well? And we have really productive soils in Iowa. We've been really, really, fortunate in a lot of different ways. And I think, 
you talk to all any farmer is going to say, I, I don't want to lose my topsoil, mm-hmm. don't want my black dirt, you know. So I think in a nutshell, that's what we mean by having healthy soils is how do we how do we keep soils from eroding away? How do we keep our soil where it stays and yet not inject our soils with all sorts of chemicals and medicines that maybe aren't needed or some are needed depending on what is making up the soil. And that's where some of these new programs that we're doing like grid sampling and tissue sampling and soil sampling. And so like we have to have the information to know how healthy our soil is. And that's why, you know, soil sampling is such an important part of agriculture. It really is. And that was something that I'm going to default back to my family, but that's something I didn't know about no pun intended, but it's rooted in scientific knowledge, like knowing what's already there and then knowing how to remedy that. And like you said, we want to maintain this healthy soil. Farmers all want to do that. They don't, like you said, want to lose their topsoil. And they want to be able to, at the same time, make it affordable for themselves to maintain their livelihood, to grow their crops. Because some of these chemical additives, like we don't want to use them, but we have to in order to get good yield. And in order to get that, then we have to put on this additive and that costs X amount of dollars. So there's a whole bunch of implications, but it all starts, like you said, in that soil sampling, in that grid sampling and making sure that A, the soil is healthy. Yeah. And that's, you know, like one of the new programs that we've got kicked off is called Chutera. And it was a program designed out of, uh, out of Minnesota Lando Lakes. We got partnered up with them about a year ago. It's been, we've had really good positive reception. It gives a farmer a score. It's a field by field analysis. And it gives a farmer a score zero to 100 on their sustainability on their farm. So let's say a a farmer says, I'll do it. I'll enter and we get the soils, the slopes, and then we include their inputs. Like, what are you putting on this field? We enter that information into this model and it gives us a score zero to 100. So let's say we, we do that on this field and a farmer gets a 40 out of 100. And then we say, okay, we think there's ways that we can improve. Maybe you need to do some tissue sampling, side dressing, maybe it's soil probing. Would you be interested in trying strip till? Would you be interested in going vertical till or no till cover crop? So we, as the farmer is willing to kind of make some of these changes to increase his sustainability score, it also reflects back on maybe I don't need that much nitrogen on my fields. Maybe I can reduce and still get the same yields. You know, we want to share this information with a farmer. It's a portfolio. It's a model that's developed that's supposed to help farmers with that decision-making process. When I look at their inputs, like we know these margins are already tight. Mm -hmm. Like no farmer wants to spend more money on inputs than they have to. So if we can analyze things more specifically, and this is where like technology has gotten so, so advanced in so many different ways and will continue to advance. This Trutera program is, is a program that's funded by the county. Um, we've had good reception. We had 28 producers sign up for it this year. It's maxed at $5,000 per grower. That's been a great example of, you know, kind of a local initiative. That's not a cost share program. It's a, it's a program designed to help us address sustainability, you know, climate, carbon capture soil health trend, nitrogen use efficiency, like it measures all these things and builds a portfolio for that farmer on a field by field analysis. The other one that that we're promoting is the Soil and Water Outcome Fund. That's another program that's really designed on 
farmer gets to decide what they'd be willing to do. We're not forcing any of this on any farmer. They decide what they're willing to do. And if there's reduced nutrients, the outcome fund is paying the farmer for those reductions. So it's solely focused on outcomes, like what are the environmental outcomes for carbon and for uh, nutrients? Whatever those outcomes are, we're paying farmers for those outcomes. So it's, it's creating an, another market. That's awesome. In your response a little bit ago, you talked about some of these things like cover crops and vertical till or no-till or strip till. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those things are in case our listeners are not familiar? Yeah, so I, I mentioned our new slogan, and there will be billboards that will be put up in Dubuque County starting, I think, in June this year, I want to say. They're coming pretty soon. The billboard is, um, we'll say, roots in the ground year-round. Um, what does that mean? Well, that that's the encouragement of planting cover crops, right? So after your beans or your corn is harvested, it's putting a cover crop, a plant, typically, you know, there's all different sorts of cover crops that can be planted, um, but I'll just, for example, say oats. So you would you would plant oats or winter rye or different radishes are being used just to some levels. Um, so you plant a, a winter hardy plant that takes off and germinates in, in the fall after harvest. And, you know, you start to get green growth right away in those, in those months of you know, late October, November, December, um, depending, you know, it's, it's kind of a weather dependent thing. Mm-hmm. Then in the spring, when we have our snow melt and we have the spring rains and we don't have anything covering our bare ground, the dirt, we have the fields that have cover crops, we have that growth there protecting our soil erosion and so forth. And like I talked about having a, a living root system, having healthy soils, we have healthy soils now. So we're not, we're not going in the fall and we're not tilling our fields, getting ready for spring. We're trying to promote the healthy soils so that when the spring comes, we're ready to go when we had a root system in that ground 365. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the whole concept behind mm-hmm. a cover crop and, and so forth. And, you know, strip till and no till, I mean, tillage, obviously, I think we all understand, you know, you go in, you till a garden, you till a field to get ready for planting. No till is simply not tilling and, and going and using a no till drill and planting directly into that field without tillage. That's the whole no-till concept, and it has so many awesome benefits. But it doesn't work for every field. We know that there's livestock, there's manure, there's things that have to get incorporated in the fields, and that's where you look at, you know, utilizing strip till or vertical till or different practices out there that just it's reduced tillage. Oh, I think it's. I know that I'm probably like I just think it's so fascinating. I'm so curious about all of this because there's just so many options, and like you said, every operation requires different things. And so it is a case by case basis where you're analyzing what they're doing. You're analyzing what they're working with. You're analyzing their return on investment and what they're getting from it and how that's impacting the environment. And I think it just brings it full circle again to how it's all rooted in the relationships that you're building and going in and being willing to having conversations with everybody from the farmer and producer to the builders and contractors in these urban areas, to your city managers, and making sure that all of these people are on the same page and understanding that we're all coming together for a good outcome. I love that. Yeah, that's the goal. That's what we need to continue to, to work on because I, I don't think any farmer out there, you know, considers 
I don't think anyone thinks oh, I'm a, I'm a bad farmer. I'm doing things terribly. I'm losing my topsoil. I think a lot of them are trying different things and are learning from each other. And you're seeing, you know, younger farmers kind of come in to some of these new concepts and technologies. And we're trying to, we're trying to do and promote more field days to have more days where we could get, you know, get outside finally and be together again and, and learn from each other. I think, you know, a lot of farmers are willing to, to share their experience, to share what's been working for them and what they're doing and to have, to have more field days. Cause that's the best way we can learn is just all get together and, and chat about this is working for me. This isn't working for me. A lot of these things we're talking, talking about aren't, you know, it's not like we're asking farmers to make significant changes in a year. It might start small, you know, mm-hmm. start, start with 20 acres or start with a, a portion of your field or, you know, different areas that you can kind of expand and look at. So like I said, everyone's different, but yeah, it, it goes back to those relationships. And yeah, you said this earlier and I kind of, I think I glossed over it and I didn't mean to, but you said that farmers trust a lot of other farmers and it just, yeah, they, I don't know anybody, I'm, maybe it's just me again, but like when we go places, my husband and I, he'll inevitably find somebody who he can talk cattle with or talk about crops and what are they doing this year that's different than last year? And how did that one thing go that he already heard about through the grapevine that they were trying out? And did they like this new implement? And I know that when they adopted the strip till, like other farmers were just coming up to their shop and looking at it and asking questions. <laughs> so like farmers and people in the ag sector, like they want to learn and they want to know and they want to be more efficient and they want to be more responsible and stewards of the land. And like you said, they trust the opinion of other people that are in their area. And so your efforts at the county level to get in and create those inroads with the farmers and build those positive relationships and helping them in the way that they need the help is so important. Yeah, thanks. I hope it I hope that we can continue to grow this. It's such an important piece, I think that and I will say just like our the Dubuque County Board of Supervisors have been so supportive of these efforts and have really have really been a huge, I mean, leaders, I mean, leaders in, in Dubuque County, but leaders in the state too. I mean, I don't know of any county that's set aside a, and created a land stewardship fund to help farmers with some of these things. And they're using local money to kind of grow this program and develop it. And, you know, getting intergovernmental agreements completed um, when you're talking about, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on new programs can be challenging. But I think, you know, the one thing that was coming up like through our discussions and meetings in the last decade is that this was a priority for the city of Dubuque officials and city manager and the county supervisors. So what our district commissioners, it was something that all of them felt like this is a priority. This is something that we want to work towards. So like the county, the city has been great. Like, and like I said, I hope that we can continue to, to grow and expand and just share success. Awesome. We're getting close on time. So is there anything you want to tell us about the new program that you guys are rolling out that you haven't touched on yet that you want our listeners to be aware of? How can they get involved with you? Things like that. Yeah. So we will be launching a new website and hopefully time this airs, it's up, but it's uh, <laughs> org. So that'll be the next big, I think, missing link with a lot of information on some of the programs I talked about today, like where can I learn more for the farmer or the urban dweller? You know, the ideal is to have it as kind of the one-stop shop 
you know, a place where city and county officials can go and learn from. And, and that, that should be launching soon. Um, it's definitely, uh, I think we're trying to, you know, really kind of share and develop the marketing approach to just growing, growing the programs and getting this information available out there as many different ways as we can. Mm-hmm. And I know like we had talked that you're going to have a multifaceted approach. There will be a social media outlet that people can connect with, the website, billboards. You have people, like you said, your agronomist who are on, boots on the ground going out and talking to people and creating conversations and really just having this be at the top of mind for a lot of people and educating the public and just really like we keep coming back to that this is something that impacts everybody and we should all be interested and involved in the preservation of soil and water. Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, our Facebook page, Dubuque County Watersheds is another place to go on and check out. We're going to try and grow that and, and start sharing like more farmer testimonial videos and videos and photos of, of different things that, that we're working on and that we're, we're doing and so forth. So that's another avenue to check out. Like I said, the website will be, will be up and running with some really cool, like, you know, ArcGIS story maps and a lot of good interactive maps. I think that people will, will find interesting in some of the work that we're doing. Um, and just contact information, you know, our, our agronomist is happy to meet with anyone. We have an urban watershed coordinator that again, will, will meet with, uh, with anyone, you know, drainage concerns or stream bank concerns, or, you know, my neighbor did this and the water's flowing differently. I mean, this is, we kind of take a lot of different, uh, I don't want to call them complaints, but a lot of different concerns from citizens across the county. And, and uh, we stay pretty busy with that stuff, but we're happy to, we're happy to reach out and, and see where we can help. I love that. Um, okay, Eric. So we have shared with people what you do. We have shared a little bit about how they can get in contact with you after they've listened to this interview. Now it's time to enter what we call affectionately here at Small Minded, the small talk round. And all of this is just going to be off the wall questions from a variety of areas that really pertain to nothing about what you do, but they're just fine. And I like to ask them. So first up, Eric, what is your go-to snack? You're in your office today. I know that we've had a meeting before you were at home. What is that thing that you go for in the middle of the day when you're like, gosh, I just need a snack? Man, my go-to snack. I, you know, I don't know. I don't have a, I don't know if I have a go-to snack. Probably granola bars. I'm a, I'm a big granola person. I would probably have to say granola is probably my go-to snack. But yeah, I don't know. I try to I try to eat, you know, somewhat healthy as much as I can. But yeah, I'd say granola. I love, you know, cheese and sausage. I mean, from Wisconsin, please. You know, I, gotta, <laughs> I was thinking it was going to be something cheese, but <laughs> got to, yeah, there's got to be. There's definitely cheese in, that's involved. I try not to do the cheese thing until like happy hour, like later in the daytime, you know. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So because you're from Wisconsin, does that mean that you're a Packer fan? Not only from Wisconsin, I'm from Green Bay, and my my grandma and grandpa had season tickets and lived, um, you know, like two blocks from the stadium from Lambeau Field. So from a young age, was like, you know, it's like in your blood. And fortunately, we're, we were able to. My family's been able to hold on to the tickets, and uh, so yeah, diehard Packer fan. Um, we've got a a nine year old son at home that's now like it's in, like in his blood now. You know, like he's got like all the Packer jerseys and stuff. So. But yeah, we usually get to a game or two a year and it's been, it's, it's fun. 
Um, okay. I'm glad we're ending the interview on that note because <laughs> <laughs> no, I just kidding. It's not like I would have shut off the interview, but no, I think that's really cool that you guys have those season tickets and it's, you've kept it in the family, but I am a Minnesota Vikings fan, but we don't need to go count in championships or anything. Cause that will end well poorly for me. So <laughs> anyway, um, what was your first job? My first job, I started working First, first job would have been a caddy at a private country club in Green Bay, carrying golf clubs for um, typically wealthy, you know, wealthy males. I felt like, you know, Saturday morning, you'd have to show up at, you know, 6, 6, 630 in the morning and you have to hope that your name would get called. And it's like a random number. And then you're paired with with a golfer and you carry his clubs all day. And the highlight is um, they used to have what's called a caddy special, which is like hot dog and a bag of chips and a soda at like whole like 12 or 13 usually and that was like, that was like you look forward to that and it was you know I think um there were some good experiences with that um I had uh you know only once or twice was I asked to like go into a pond and retrieve a ball so that wasn't too good. <laughs> I think one time a, a club got thrown into a, a pond I think but yeah, they took some of them took their golfing pretty serious. Some of them were really fun, and you were like, fingers crossed that you got one of the really fun guys that tips like twenty bucks. You know, like yes. Oh, I think I always ask this question because it's fascinating what people learn and the life skills that they take away from some of those first entry level jobs. And like, I find that so many of those jobs, like this one, teach you a lot about working with people teaching you how to be punctual, teaching you good customer service because you want that return business from that particular golfer. Um, oh gosh, we could talk about that all day. That's <laughs> so interesting because I'm sure you met a lot of characters. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, all right, two more questions. I always have to ask this because of my profession. What is your favorite social media platform to scroll on, show up on, things like that? Yeah, I'm definitely a Twitter person. Twitter's my jam on the social media world. It's become like my news feed. And like we, you know, we stream all of our, you know, TV watching and stuff. It's all just streaming now for us. So like Twitter has like, it's become like the news thing of mm -hmm. following, um, you know, finding people and topics that you'd like to follow and chase and stuff. So I, yeah, I'm a six or six 30, like hop on Twitter in the morning and kind of see what's happening and stuff. Um, I don't headlines do for the day. Yeah, exactly. And and they're like fun headlines. It's not all like depressing news. You know, it's like people that I like following typically. So yeah, Twitter's probably my favorite. Instagram's great too for, you know, doing what it is. I'm not a huge Facebook person. It's got its things about it that, that are great, but um, definitely I'd say Twitter's my go-to. Awesome. Okay. Last question. We know that you're involved in soil and water. At the beginning of the interview, you touched on water recreation. So in the summertime, what is your go-to water recreation of choice? Great question. Well, that's an easy one for me. As much as I love the Mississippi and have come to love it being in Dubuque here, like we go out on the river a lot. We love the river. My wife's family owns a resort in Eagle River, Wisconsin. So northern Wisconsin mm. is actually where we met up um, in a couple small towns up there when I was doing that fishery research. So we get up there quite a bit up into the north temperate lakes of northern Wisconsin and, and we love the north woods and just everything that it that it kind of offers you know like that hangout time with beautiful kind of scenery and being on the water and the lakes 
that's honestly when I was going to college and I was like, what do I want to do? You know, just all these different options that were out there. I knew I wanted to do something with environment um, and environmental concerns and conservation, but water like was my thing. Like, and, and I think seeing like growing up, we were up north a lot in northern Wisconsin and seeing the lakes like grow um, just through development and lakefront properties and everyone wanted to be on water and so forth. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to work in land use that protects water. And that's mm -hmm. that's where my interest kind of that's where I started making that shift and that focus in, in the college years. So definitely the Mississippi locally, but um, northern Wisconsin and those lakes up there. Awesome. Well, Eric, I thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, your knowledge and all of the programming that you've got coming up for Dubuque County Soil and Water so that our locals can tap into that. And if anybody's listening who is not a local, we will make sure that we connect you to Eric through the show notes. So you'll be able to access his email, the new website, all of those things if you want to get something like this up and going in your area. So thank you again, Eric. Thank you, Molly. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. I've enjoyed our conversations. Thanks for having me on. Um, I look forward to, to continuing, uh, continuing the discussions with you down the road as well. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived, being small-minded.